Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. And welcome back to Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. And we apologize. We were very late in delivering our last episode. As I explained in the show notes, the wonky time crystal that Paul bought on eBay pushed us forward like 950 years into the future. And that was as early as we could get back to drop that episode. So I apologize. Completely blame it on Paul. That's what you get for buying budget time crystals. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, to be fair, we only came back a week after the episode. So, you know, it was pretty close. It's not not too bad of a crystal. I'm just saying, it was more like a, you know, a week and a couple of days. (laughs) Just saying, your, your your time crystal blows, Paul. That's what I'm saying. Well, apparently I should have gone to the home world of the Klingon monks to get my time crystal. You should have gone to Borath to get your authentic Klingon official time crystals. Do you think they have, like, as soon as you get off the ship in Borath, like, they've got those street vendors that just kind of sell you the cheap imitation stuff? Oh, yeah. Stuff? They sell you some yeah. bullshit time crystals, like Paul yeah. Pitts? Yeah, It's absolutely. like T-Y-M-E crystals? <laughs> oh, yeah, authentic yeah. time crystals. That's mm-hmm. T-H-Y-M-E. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're delicious. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, they are uh, Kalis-approved time yeah. crystals. Okay, yeah. let's be with you. That's right. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. So we apologize. We're, this one, this one will get to you just as soon as possible. If you're listening to it now, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Aaron. Yeah, that's right. Paul. Yeah, because you know Paul. Paul sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Paul's not even here. By the time you're listening to this, Paul's in Chicago. That's right. That's right. So, uh, Paul. Yes. Um, we got some great news today. I'm super uh-huh. excited about this news today. That oh. we got a theatrical release date oh. for what we left behind the Deep Space Nine documentary. Oh, what? Were you well, thinking, I don't know. I you, thought you were building up to something like, like big. Like were you I don't about know. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we filmed that shit a long time ago, Aaron. I expected it to be released by now. No, oh, we're still working on it, Paul. We're we're, we're converting those images to high def, but <laughs> but uh, it's going to be a Fathom events one night, one night only. Um, I'm okay. super excited. It's going to be in May. Tickets go on sale April 12th, I believe. Okay. And I saw tonight that if you are one of the backers, you know, because remember this was funded via Indiegogo. Oh, yeah. um, if you are one of the backers or if you pre-order the Blu-ray, you can uh, get access to the preview streaming site for 99 hours. Oh, 
Or were you a backer? I was not a backer because this went by me before uh, uh, the, the Indiegogo closed down before uh, I heard about it. But I am going to pre-order the Blu-ray, and they said if you if you do it now, uh, you can get the uh, preview site. So I'm I'm going to do that because I want the Blu-ray anyway. Okay. I, I I feel like I will support it with an uh, with a purchase of a movie ticket or uh, something like that. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I feel I'm nervous about committing to actually purchasing a Blu-ray of the movie. I just you know I've been burned. I've been burned, Aaron. I'm There's so a sorry. death and return. The the death of the life and death of whatever the hell that movie was. <laughs> the, uh, the Superman. Li- the life and death. Of the death of Superman. What happened? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was horrible. And I don't mean to speak ill of, uh, you know, the the guy who passed away, but uh, I'm still a pretty, I'm a a pretty hard pass um, Mm -hmm. on on pre-purchasing these fan-made documentaries. But that being said. um, But this this isn't a fan-made documentary, Paul. This is the documentary made by the people who made Deep Space Nine. Well, true. And they've they've got legit access to the CBS vault to do stuff. And do stuff. Yeah, they're 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 messing with the stuff, Paul. So it's a two hour and ten minute documentary. Uh-huh. Um is what the the, the word is. And um, I'm I, I'm definitely looking forward to to checking it out. Tickets go on sale, you are correct, April twelfth. Are you fact checking me now, Paul? I mean I'm looking at it right now just, I'm just to be saying, sure. I'm you're, just you're, saying you are you there used to be trust in this friendship and that is gone. You are ninety percent wrong, fifty percent of the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> fair. Uh, the one night divide has not been officially announced, but um, apparently those attending will receive an exclusive poster. Oh yeah, uh, it's totally going in my locker. Totally. <laughs> and apparently, in addition, there will be a roundtable discussion, bonus bonus content on the making of the documentary. So, I'm, seven p.m. So- May thirteenth. I am super excited. I already have it on my calendar. All right, so May thirteenth, so that I make sure that some bonehead doesn't decide to you know send me out of town or put you on a podcast. Yeah, bastards. God. Hate May thirteenth. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Oh wait, I'm looking at March. Well, May May could also be. Oh, May thirteenth. Yep. I'm I'm available. I'm yeah. gonna watch it. I'm a, I'm gonna watch that business. Uh huh. Yeah. Gonna get all up in that Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, but before we even get to that, we are going to have our season finale, season finale um, of Star Trek Discovery. I say that because it's not the series finale. Uh, Star Trek Discovery has two more episodes at the time of this podcasting. Yeah, um, yeah, not 15 episodes as I thought it was. It's 14. 14. Uh, yeah. and, the, and the 13th and 14th are apparently the two-part season finale, which means one of them is going to be like 35 minutes long. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh this week we had the uh the the penultimate I guess episode if you if you're really counting the season finale as a two-parter um in the valley of shadows is that through the name through the valley through of shadows through the valley of shadows you got to go through uh, uh, the valley of shadows to get to the last two episodes of the season yeah through and through. uh I had heard that this episode was was quite intriguing, and I saw it earlier this evening. Well, and what I like is that it winds up being a backdoor crossover between Star Trek Discovery and Babylon 5. Because did you note, Paul, the appearance of a Minbari right there on Borath? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah. And, and also the appearance of Mordor. Borath That's right. is actually Mordor. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we were, we're there in Mount Doom. You know, mm-hmm. 
the, the whole bit. I just, you know, th- this was this was all the genres coming together. It was a very fantastical episode of Star Trek Discovery. There were time crystals. There were volcanoes with time crystals. There was future revelations and uh, all sorts of all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I will also say that loud noise you heard, Paul. That that noise that you heard. Mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry turning over in his grave. Oh, poor Gene. Yeah, because uh, this was the episode. This this more than any other episode of Star Trek Discovery is very much the episode that that those guys who want to say that Discovery isn't Star Trek, this is the episode that they'll cite for you. Uh, <laughs> because, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, um, it is a lot more fantastical than even some of the other episodes have been, or even than all the other yeah. episodes have been. Uh, but it, it is very much outside of Gene Roddenberry's idea of Star Trek. And so I think one of the things we'll have to explore, Paul, is is Star Trek big enough to contain this new sort of perspective? Oh, yeah. So, are we going to dis- discuss it, or are we discussing it no, right now? We're gonna we're going to discuss it. Oh, okay. Once we get there, because Paul, you know, shit just doesn't happen. You know, you, oh. you got you got to you got to go through the valley of the shadows. <laughs> you don't you just see? go in. Yeah, you don't. One doesn't just simply walk into Mordor. <laughs> you got to go through <laughs> the valley of the shadows, right? Uh, so, <laughs> at the beginning of the episode, there are more of those red lights. Right, mm-hmm. we get some, we get some fresh red lights, which is intriguing because we knew, know at the end of last episode that uh, you know Mama Burnham did not claim ownership of those red lights. So of course that begs the question: Who's turning on the red lights? <laughs> I'm just saying somebody somebody's doing it. Um, I you know I, I had suggested last episode that perhaps Mama Burnham goes back you know to the future and you know decides to turn on the red lights then or maybe there is a Michael Burnham aspect to it where you know maybe in some future time because you know at, by the end of the episode we have new time crystals maybe somebody does that with those. You know, but we'll find out. I assume by the end, by the time we get to the end of the season, all questions will be answered. Every single one. Right. So, you know, we've got some red lights. The red lights are over Borath. We go to Borath. We call uh, uh, Chancellor Laurel to say, hey, we'd like to uh, beam down to Borath, get us some of them sweet, sweet time crystals. And, uh, you know, Laurel's all like, uh, no, nobody can go down there because I can't go down there for reasons. And Ash Tyler, he can't go down there for reasons, which all comes down to the fact that, you know, Ash Tyler's supposed to be dead. Her baby is supposed to be dead. And, of course, we all know that Ash Tyler brought baby boy, uh, baby boy Vote Jr., also known as Baby No Name. Yes. Uh, <laughs> to he didn't even name the baby. It's Did like not know? naming your turkey at Thanksgiving. <laughs> you have to name that delicious, delicious turkey. <laughs> um, I also name all my enchiladas and tacos. Every single, every single one. one of them. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so they can't go down because that would tip someone off about their kid. And, you know, just they, the, the lies on which her chancellorship is built on would all crumble apart. So who's going to go down? Captain Pike. But before Captain Pike beams down to Borath, Michael Burnham gets herself a mission. And her mission is to go check out uh, a Section 31 ship that didn't check in on time. 
because they're all supposed to check in like every hour on the hour. And it was like 10 minutes late on its check-in, so that's that's suspicious for a Section 31 ship, particularly since Section 31's on high alert in relation to control. So she and Spock go off on a, uh, on a sibling road trip to go check that stuff out. And long story short, they get to uh, the, the Section 31 ship. Did they ever even name that ship, Paul? Or is it just the Section 31 ship? Just the Section 31 ship. I don't recall them ever naming that, but they get there and they find one survivor. All of the crew have been beamed out into space, so they're all, you know, frozen in space. And they find one life sign, beam him aboard. He's he's alive because he's he's the only guy who could get to a uh, EVA suit. And lo and behold, it's Lieutenant Gant, who we last saw on the Shinzu, back before, you know, it all hit the fan. <clears throat> So, uh, you know, they, they wake him up and, you know, wow, you know, I was, I was doing some, uh, some checking of the, of, of the disk drive and <clears throat> holy crap, we had a virus. It was control. It beamed us all out into space. So they all decide, Spock, Burnham, Gant, all decide to uh, go back to the ship so that they can find out what happened and see what control's up to. Again, long story short, Gant is control. He's another one of the, you know, nanobot hybrids, you know, the, the, the ship has taken, the control has taken him over and, uh, he is all full of nasty, nasty nanobots. And there's a nice little laser fight that happens, sorry, phaser fight that happens and she blows a hole in him. So they all just come pouring out of, out of him and go chasing after her and Spock magnetizes the floor just in the nick of time so that, uh, the little nanites can't get to her. So question, sir, do you feel as if control is related to the Borg somehow? I feel like they are winking their eye at us about that. Um, because have the Borg been established? I don't recall if they were the Borg, uh, if the Borg were in Star Trek Enterprise at all. Yes, they were. There was an episode where a scouting team showed up in Star Trek Enterprise. Ah, okay. And they were never called the Borg because, you know, you can't say that, you know, hey, we ran into the Borg, but the viewer knew that it was the Borg. So, yeah. no, I don't believe that it is the Borg, but I think that they are winking at the viewer going, doesn't this sound familiar? Mm-hmm. You know? Um you know, scary nonetheless. I, you yeah. know, I, I just, I, I truly, I don't think that, that they are, that the intent is for these guys to be Borgy. Uh, I could be wrong. So usually 90% of the time, 90%, <laughs> 50% of the time. So the, the big thing we discover after, you know, Spock and Burnham put, you know, control Gant down, um, we understand that control is really freaked out about Michael Burnham, right? I mean, just really freaked out about Michael Burnham that, uh, she is the chaos agent. She is the one that they can't predict. And so they have got to do something about effing Michael Burnham. And that's why control's got a hard on for lured her out there to the section 31 ship, uh, wanted to, you know, uh, do unspeakable things to Michael Burnham, you know, beyond those things that her friends have done, like asphyxiator, um, <clears throat> you know, like you, you send your, you send your buddy down there and let him, let him choke out on the planet, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, keep your friends close enemies closer. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Michael Burnham and, and Spock head head back to the ship, where meanwhile, Captain Pike has beamed down to Borath and meets uh, an albino Klingon that looks an awful lot like a Minbari from Babylon 5. 
He's got the whole head antler thing going on. You know, that mm-hmm, rings his mm-hmm. head. I mean, I was the whole time I was like, is that Delenn's brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Babylon 5 reference there. Um, Wrong podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Coming soon. Babylon 5 with Aaron and Pauly. <laughs> Don't make me rewatch that first season. <laughs> You'll have to, Paul. We're, oh, we're going to do it all. You're going to have to watch, you know, uh, Babylon 5, The Rangers. Uh, and Crusade. No. Yes. Oh, Crusade is so bad. <laughs> um, anyway, so you know, he goes, Captain Pike beams down and, and they're like, you know, none shall pass. You're not coming in here with your Starfleet ways and going to grab yourself some time crystals, you know, and, and, you know, Captain Pike says, uh, all due respect, I'm not leaving me, not leaving here without some time crystals. Now, okay. So they let him come back and we learn on the stroll into Mount Doom that uh, uh, the guy, the, the, the albino Klingon that he's been talking to, is the son of Voke. He is Voke Jr. He's the child that, that Ash Tyler brought to Borath. And, of course, Captain Pike is you know, confused by this because he understood that that was just a few months ago. He's like, yeah, things are weird around the time, Crystals. Which would, if I were Captain Pike, I'd like, whoa. Whoa, am I going to get old and funky? Yeah, am I going to Benjamin like, Button? What's going to happen here? Yeah, what's going to happen to Captain Pike? I was like, oh, is he going to leave like a month older than when he went in? Yeah, or younger, or an infant, or an old man. I mean, I'd be a little, I'd be a little nervous about that. That would have been one of my first questions. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Tell me what's going to happen in there because you know you were a not even a toddler. You were an infant when you were dropped off here a couple of months ago. What's this going to do to me? Because, buddy. I really kind of heat peak. I've hit peak Pike, right? I mean, it, it, Pike is just as good looking as he can be, and any changes to that's going to mess things up. I'm just saying. I mean, I feel like you're very distracted by Pike's good looks. He is awfully good looking, and he has got a got a sweet, sweet head of hair. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> you you have two balding guys on this podcast. Just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that hair isn't gorgeous. Paul. It's nice hair. It yeah, is. I, I mean, I just I, every time I you know I, he comes on, I am struck by you know my uh, my man love for him, as well as my abiding jealousy of that sweet sweet head of hair. I mean, because, I'd stab someone for that hair. I mean, I would cu- I would cut somebody hard for that. Oh yeah, uh, it is some gorgeous hair. I mean, I I have a history of five decades of almost blemish free heterosexuality. But uh, uh, I, I'd completely go for some uh, Anson Mount. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm saying he, he's a good-looking man. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. I don't get jealous, Paul. I don't. I don't I, want you. I, I, mean, I don't want you. I don't want you sitting there going, "Hey, what about us?" You know, I, you and I have something special. Anson Mount and I is just about his hair. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. I see how it is. I see how it is, Anson. Yeah. Yeah. So. They're down there, and, you know, uh, this strikes me very much as a Deep Space Nine orb experience, right? Because uh, the the Timekeeper, who we learn his name is Timekeeper Tanavik, so he's got a name now, right? Vote Jr. So Vote Jr. leads him to the Time Crystals, and he's like, these are your Time Crystals. These are the ones that are meant for you. And, you know, Pike's like, well, what, what's it going to tell me? What's it going to do? And he says, I don't know. That's between you and the crystal. And so he, he, he kneels down in front of it, very much like, you know, uh, a Bajoran would, would kneel down before uh, the orb of the prophets to have that, you know, orb experience. 
Um, and he touches the crystal, and bam, he is however far in the future when he is uh, leading a training session uh, with uh, Starfleet cadets, and the reactor goes wonky and blasts everybody with Delta radiation. So he gets to see himself as we meet him in the original series episode, The Menagerie, where he is horribly burned and scarred, rendered mute, and you know, essentially a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Um, and just really his, his ability to communicate is binary. He can communicate, you know, one beep or two beeps to, to significate, to, to, uh, signify yes or no. That's what he sees. And it's horrific. And he is blown out of the vision. And, you know, goes, uh, hitting against the wall. And he's essentially reciting a mantra to himself. Starfleet's captain. You believe in service? Sacrifice, compassion, and love. I'm not going to abandon the things that make me who I am because of the future. It contains an ending hit. I hadn't foreseen for myself. He takes the crystals because he's told by Tanavik, you can avoid this future if you don't take the crystals. If you take the crystals, you lock this future in. Which seems kind of shitty of the crystals, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean why would like they the, do that? It you, seems you, like the crystals are sentient. Yeah, and, but there's uh, a lot of crystals there. I don't know why taking one is a problem. Yeah, well, or, you know, well, maybe if these crystals are dicks, maybe I could have another set of crystals. What you yeah. got in the back? <laughs> yeah. can, can I touch that other crystal? <laughs> let, let me see what that vision looks like. Because, I mean, wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and I, I like that Pike goes into it knowing now. Yeah, You know, this isn't something that's just going to be a surprise to him later on. He chooses to walk this path now. It's a choice now. It's not just something that happens to him. Uh, and I like what that means about this character. I This is very much, and, you know, uh, uh, Admiral Cornwell, as much as says so in an earlier episode, that Pike is the best of us, right? He's the best of Starfleet. And you you so see that in this episode, because I'm not sure that some of the other characters on this show would make that same choice. No, hell, I wouldn't. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a that's a that's a big damn move. But those uh, bitches. But, you know, Captain Pike, he he is he is uh, he he is really a hero. And and I like that about him. I don't need all my characters to be heroes, but it's nice to have one. You know, yeah. we, we, we live in an age where so many of our protagonists are really anti-heroes. You know, you look at the success of things like Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy, The Sopranos, and it's always these sort of dark characters. And that seems to be the, the type of storytelling that, that our culture really enjoys these days. And I enjoy those. Uh, both of the, all three of those shows, I enjoyed the hell out of. But I do like to see someone heroic in my Star Trek. And uh, that is exactly who Captain Pike is. And I think yeah. that really holds true to the character that we met in the cage and in the menagerie. And I, and I like that they have really held close to the cut of that character from that, that decade. Um, I, I'm just, I'm, I, I thought that was a, a fantastic moment in this episode, particularly when he yeah. is back on, on his ship 
and he's telling uh, uh, Ash Tyler and Laurel about having met their son Tanavik and revealing to them he's got a name now. His name's Tanavik, and by the way, he's yeah. a grown man and he's a really great guy. And here's where it is, Paul. Here's where it is. Here is where Discovery lays it down that we are not Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. Because Pike says he was meant to be on Borath. Your son, Tanavik, was Mm -hmm. meant to be on Borath. And I was meant to be there and be guided by him. What he's talking about there, Paul, is fate. Yeah. And that is something that Gene Roddenberry was absolutely opposed to. Um, he did not believe in fate. He did not believe in mysticism. He did not believe in religion. Um, you know, despite the episode where they plug in a little Jesus Christ in there uh, uh, with with the Romans uh, in that original series episode, uh, uh, Bread and Circus, I think that episode is called. That was done against his wishes. He very much believes in uh, uh, Gene Roddenberry. Very much believed in an atheistic future. Uh, a future where reason prevailed over religion and over spirituality, that he he believed in reason and logic. His hero character on that show was Spock. Um, and I just, I watched that, and don't get me wrong, enjoyed this episode a great deal. I really love how uh, Star Trek Discovery tells stories. But man, I can just hear a certain segment of Star Trek fandom losing their shit. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. I personally believe, Paul, Star Trek's a big enough house to tell all kinds of stories. And I think it's okay for a character Mm -hmm. in the show to say, I think it was fate that brought me here. Um, I think that's okay. I I embraced that about Deep Space Nine. You know, in Deep Space Nine, which was the first Star Trek series that Gene Roddenberry had no fingerprints on, uh, it was very much an exploration of religion and spirituality that ran the entire length of the show. Um, and a lot of that brought forward, you know, by guys like Iris Steve, Stephen Bear and uh, uh, Ron Moore, you know, really explored those aspects that we'd never really been allowed to explore in Next Generation or the original series because Gene Roddenberry wouldn't have it. Um, yeah. I, I, so I'm curious, Paul. Did that stand out to you when you saw it? Did it? Did you? Yeah, did, but I think it was it was supposed to, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they certainly focused on that moment. Yeah, they underlined um, it, right? <laughs> yeah, they really yeah. want you to be aware that this is different territory. Yeah, this isn't your daddy's Star Trek. Yeah, so I, I think that was intentional. I mean, it certainly stood out to me as a as a an interesting moment. Yeah, it it seemed like a hard line, right? I mean, it seemed like somebody drew a line in the sand uh, and said. This is this is where we're 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 gonna we're going to plant our flag, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I gotta tell you, I I liked it. You know, I I for a long time kind of regarded myself as a Star Trek purist, um, particularly in the first several episodes of Discovery season one. Uh, but this show's won me over. They they have my trust. Yeah. They did not have my trust in those first few episodes. Um, but they the the long journey of season one has really earned my faith with these guys, and I'm willing to let them take me where where it goes. I I still am troubled with the fact that nobody's explaining to me what exactly a time crystal is, other than the, other than the fact that it's a crystal that allows you to control time. 
um, because that just seems like magic to me. I just yeah. need- well, the buy into it, right? I think the yeah. buy into it is where I have an issue with it. Yeah. Like it is, it is literally like, oh, it's a time crystal. Oh, okay. Well, we need to get some more of those. Like it seems like it would be a pretty big freaking deal. Well, and the fact that there are a fuck ton of them on Borath because we see all the time crystals there, yeah. that seems problematic to me. Well, because if maybe. if the if the universe knows that there are all these fucking time crystals there, why isn't everyone just saying, "Hey, let's load up and you know go get us some fucking time crystals"? Well, I guess what? maybe we'll find out. And maybe because this episode ends with like thirty one section thirty one ships showing up, yeah, uh, <laughs> to uh, take the sphere data from Discovery, and of course Captain Pike throws out a. Prepare for auto-destruct at the end of the episode. Yeah. Initiate verification procedures for auto-destruct sequence and send a shipwide alert. We are evacuating Discovery. Uh, maybe we're going to see some of that. I don't know, Paul. Well, but overall, maybe we'll see the elimination of the spore drive. Maybe. Maybe we, maybe we burn that spore drive out. Yeah. Maybe yeah. this is where we see some of that stuff. So yeah. certainly, you know, there's a lot to come. Two more episodes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, they're certainly building up to a, a pretty interesting finale. Um, so I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, b- b- a big two episodes coming up before we end the season. So, uh, Pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. So in the meantime, uh, as you guys uh, listen to this podcast, well, I mean, not as you do it, but I mean, I guess you can do it whenever you really want. Multitask, Paul. They can multitask. You can hit us up on social media to give us your thoughts on this episode, Through the Valley of Shadows, or, you know, what your thoughts on what might happen in next week's episode, Such Sweet Sorrow, um, or in the season finale, which I don't know the title of yet. Uh, But... (laughs) You can hit us up on social media, IOM Geek on Facebook or Instagram, at Ideology Madness on Twitter, or we have a phone line, and you can call that number, which is... 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. I mean, I don't even want to tell you guys how great of a deal that is. But, I mean, you make a phone call, you get something in the mail. That's not that hard. I would do yeah. You know, Paul, I listened to another Star Trek podcast. What? And, and one of their fans is a, I believe, a recording engineer uh, mm-hmm. in Hollywood and got them into a live recording of, uh, of soundtrack music for Star Trek Discovery. Got to hear the Star Trek Orchestra play live as they recorded for one of these last two episodes. Well, that's pretty awesome. I mean, they've already filmed, so I don't think that's going to happen for us, but, uh, yeah, I I think the point I want to make Paul is that, you know, one of their fans, uh, uh, you know, did that for them. And, uh, Oh, I think I see where you're going. Like invited them to, uh, you know, participate in this mm -hmm. magnificent experience of, of creating show. Uh, and I only tell you that, you know, one of, one of our, uh, fans at at one point invited me to go fuck myself. So, uh, (laughs) I just want to, I just want to compare and contrast the difference between other people's fan bases. No, our fans are great. (laughs) Uh, so if you're listening to the show and you, you know, you want to give us a coveted valuable ideology of madness surprise, you're welcome to do that also. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Right, or you can tell Aaron to go fuck himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you could do that as well. Yeah. Anyway, we will see you next week. Uh, thanks for listening. Catch you guys later. Bye.
Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade.